Well, this evening's scripture lesson as we continue our survey of the major topics covered in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Scripture lesson is chapter 1 of Genesis, the very first chapter of the whole Bible. So we come to read here of creation this evening. We'll be dealing with the topic of the doctrine of creation. So here I read to you tonight Genesis chapter 1, which was given to Moses by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and so it is the infallible word of God. And so we know that though no man was there to observe this until the very end of the chapter, we know that the one who was there has told mankind what he did. And so this is the infallible, the inerrant word of God as we consider it this evening. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons, and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. And so God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, with which the waters abound, according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. 
And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. and May he bless the preaching of his word tonight as well as its reading and its hearing especially. Excuse me. As we make our way through... The uh, topics here covered in the Westminster Confession of Faith, we come tonight to chapter 3, which is entitled, Of Creation. And the Confession makes this statement. It says, It pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, for the manifestation of the glory of His eternal power, wisdom, and goodness, in the beginning, to create or make of nothing the world, and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all very good. That's uh, pretty much what we read just now in chapter 1, just pulling in a few other scriptures as well. We we, uh, could note several things that the Confession is pointing out there. The Westminster Assembly gleaned several things here from Scripture on the topic of creation. Number one, is the first thing that you'll notice, is they said that it pleased God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost to do this. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all three are the one creator God. Uh, sometimes I fear, uh, where you may be familiar with the Apostles' Creed, I fear that 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 can be a bit misleading. It's, a, it's an excellent historic creed of the church that helps us understand the basics of the teachings of Scripture. But it begins with the words, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And then goes on to say it in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And then uh, in the last uh, paragraph says, I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and so on. Um, <clears throat> And so it might make it sound to many people who are unfamiliar with the history behind it uh, that 
only the Father is the creator. Well, of course, it's absolutely true that God the Father is the maker of heaven and earth. But sometimes people might learn that creed and, and jump to the conclusion that God the Father is the creator, but the Son and the Holy Spirit are not. And that was never the intention, of course, of the creed. It's, a, it's never what that creed was intended to communicate. It was simply intended to communicate uh, God is a triune God, and here are uh, different ways that we see uh, the, the persons of the Godhead uh, functioning in the economy of the Godhead and in, in the way uh, that they, uh, the role that each one plays in salvation in particular. The scripture quite clearly tells us that the entire Godhead, not just one person of the Trinity, but all three, were involved in creation. As Paul pointed out to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, God the Father is the creator of us all, and so in a sense, we are all his offspring. Certainly true. Uh, now, however, that that's only in the sense that we have our origin as a human race in God. Uh, when we talk about the fall in a couple of weeks, Lord willing, we'll see how, as Jesus said, that uh, uh, human beings in our fallen state are naturally children of the devil and not of God, and we have to be adopted into God's household through Christ. We see that, uh, so covenantally, mankind is not all children of God. Right? We, we do not teach the doctrine of the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. But in terms of our origin, of course, he is our creator. And God the Father is in, involved in that, of course. But we saw this evening in Genesis 1, verse 2, that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the Holy Spirit was there and involved in creation. He's the one carrying out the will of, of God, His own will, let there be, throughout the chapter. In John chapter 1, we find that the Word, the Son of God, is the Creator also. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And we read that there was nothing that was not made by Him. Everything that was made was made by Him. In Philippians 2 and in Colossians 1, uh, we see it throughout the book of Revelation, in fact, that He is the one by whom and for whom all things were created. In Hebrews chapter 1, he's the one who sustains all things. So, so there we see that each person of the Godhead is involved in the creation and the sustaining of that creation in the first place. And so our confession rightly states that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were pleased to create all things out of nothing. So the second thing is that what I just mentioned is that God made all things out of nothing. And we saw that again also in chapter 1 of Genesis. You'll notice that the scripture does not say that God made all things out of something that was already there. There's a bit of a controversy I can just briefly mention here in terms of scriptural, uh, scriptural interpretation. In verse 2, it says, The earth was without form and void, tohu vabohu in, in uh, Hebrew. 
and uh, there uh, are places where those words are used in the books of the prophets to describe uh, the destruction of a place like Jerusalem as it being without form and void after its destruction. But we have to remember that the, the uh, <clears throat> pronouncements of prophets usually come in poetic form. And so people would project back from the prophets and say that, therefore, because we see that, that the earth was without form and void, or Jerusalem was without form and void, for example, uh, then we should just think that uh, chapter, or verse 2, rather, of Genesis 1 is saying that the earth was, uh, at that point, uh, in a position after having there having been some cataclysm, and oftentimes this is used to uh, to support a, an old Earth theory or a, a theistic evolution kind of theory. However, it's the other way around. the The poetic, prophetic statements are actually using poetically this statement to say Jerusalem was as if it were like the Earth before God actually shaped things. Well, there was matter there but it hadn't been shaped. It's trying to, to communicate that things were destroyed very terribly, not telling us the reverse, that we should look at Genesis chapter 1 as if to say that it is uh, teaching that the earth had been teeming with life or something and then been disorganized through some great cataclysm. No, the earth is without form and void. And in verse 1, before that, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. God is the only thing in existence. And of course, we know that nothing comes from nothing, right? And if, uh, as R.C. Sproul used to say, if there really was a time when there was absolutely nothing, there would still be absolutely nothing. In fact, it's nonsensical even to say if there was a time when there was nothing because time is something, right? So we get ourselves bound up into all kinds of ridiculousness if we think like that. But there was an eternal God. Uh, a little over a century ago, there were many physicists that were positing, we don't need to believe in a God who created the universe because the universe has just always been here. And of course, even then, people said, well, that's nonsensical. But... Uh, but, of course, yes, if the universe had always been here, if it were eternal, then it wouldn't necessarily need a creator, though there are some philosophical problems even with thinking that. But it's clear from all of the evidence that we've gathered since then, the universe is not eternal. The universe had a beginning. And if it had a beginning, it's an effect. And if it's an effect, it's had a cause. And here we see who that cause is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, we like to think of ourselves as creating something when we paint a painting or you know, make a birdhouse or bake a cake. Right? And indeed, in our finite and limited way, we are imitating the creativeness of our Creator when we take things that he has made and reshape them into something maybe that's useful or something that's beautiful. Though I hesitate to say that about what is often passes as quote-unquote art today. Um, but to create 
as it's used in Genesis 1 there, refers to making something from nothing. A painter has his paints that he mixes on a palette, and he can apply those to a canvas. He has a canvas to apply them to, and he has tools to to use to apply the paint to the canvas, brushes and knives and so on. The carpenter or the woodworker has wood and saws and knives and lathes and planes and hammers and nails. The baker has sugar and flour and yeast and baking powder and all of the ingredients that he would need to make a, a cake. God did not have or need paint and brushes, canvas. He didn't have wood or nails or tools. He did not have sugar or flour or eggs. He simply declared, let there be, and there is. And we see that quite clearly as we read in verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. You notice he, it doesn't say he gathered the light particles or waves, whichever whatever you want to say that they are. That's still the one of the uh, conundrums of physics is that, that light is both a particle, acts both like a particle and a wave. But he didn't gather light together that was already there and say, let this now shine. No, he, there wasn't light, and he simply said, let there be light, and there was. We don't know what the original light source was. Maybe it, we could consider it even just the glory that shines forth from God himself. Because we see uh, later on here that uh, it's on day four that he creates the uh, sun, moon, and stars. But he simply declared, let there be. And by that sheer power of his will and the declaration of his word, it was. This is the same thing that Abraham understood. That when he, when God told him that something was the case, in this case, that he would have a son, even though he was very old, he believed God. And that belief was reckoned to him as righteousness. Because he knew, the reason he believed God, was he knew that if God says something is true, that makes it true. We're not like that. You and I don't have that kind of creative ability. We can't simply declare something to be and that makes it be. But God says, let there be light. And there is light. Psalm 33, 6, that we'll sing a little bit later, declares, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Hebrews 11.3 states, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Indeed, there was nothing, invisible or visible. And God made all things of nothing. Our confession rightly affirms that. Now, people who believe in creation have different, different views on the issue of the days of creation. And we affirm in our confession that he did this in the space of six days. And so most of the ministers, I believe, in our denomination take the position of what's usually called the young earth, a literal six-day creation view. Uh, we don't require that, but that is the predominant position for sure. Uh, there's the day-age hypothesis, in which the days are longer ages. Uh, I see certain problems with that as I exegete the text, but, um, but that is one hypothesis that's put forward. 
there's the hypothesis that I mentioned earlier that says that this is really talking about a recent sort of recreation of the earth. And I think that's got its problems, as you noted. But there's also the framework hypothesis, which sees Genesis 1 as poetry. And you'll note the reason that they do this, the reason that some see it this way, is because we know that Hebrew poetry is, uh, is characterized by parallelism. And we'll notice things like, on the first day, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then on the fourth day, he creates the sun, moon, and stars. And then on the second day, he divides the waters from the land. And on the, the fifth day, he makes the sea creatures, as well as the air creatures. And then on the third day, uh, he causes the land uh, to bring forth herbs. And then on the sixth day, he creates land creatures and and animals causes the land to bring forth the, the land creatures as well as mankind, which we see in chapter 2 that he makes from the dust of the earth. And so people say, see, those are parallel ideas. Uh, the problem, a major problem with that is that every other, I'm saying that it's almost facetiously because I wouldn't say this even counts as such, but in cases of actual Hebrew poetry, the parallelism is just line by line. There's a parallel idea in the next line, not half a page away. So I think that's a, a weak argument. I don't think that there's that this is something that is taken very seriously by many uh, Hebrew linguists. But we're not here, of course, to argue this evening over old earth versus young earth or these various hypotheses. Uh, but it uh, doesn't mean it's an unimportant issue, just that we need to see that the Bible teaches here the doctrine of creation by divine fiat. That's the major point of our confession. God made everything out of nothing and simply by saying so. God said, let there be, and it was. A third thing we see affirmed by our confession is that God did this for his own glory out of his own power, wisdom, and goodness. He wasn't lonely. He wasn't missing something. It wasn't like he was uh, existing there in eternity and saying, uh, boy, there's there's something that I really lack. You know, God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. He did it because he chose to and because it would glorify him appropriately. He wanted to display who he is. But that's not all the confession has to say about creation. It also says... After God had made all other creatures, he created man, male and female, with reasonable and immortal souls, endued with knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness after his own image, having the law of God written in their hearts, and power to fulfill it, and yet under a possibility of transgressing, being left to the liberty of their own will, which was subject unto change. Beside this law written in their hearts, they received a command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which while they kept, they were happy in their communion with God and had dominion over the creatures. So just quickly, we note that first of all, the word for man that's used there in Scripture in both chapter 1 here and in chapter 2 when it's talking about mankind uh, means both male and female. 
you'll notice that we read in verse 27, actually really in verse 26 and 27, uh, God said, let us make man in our own image, in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. So the word for man there is Adam in Hebrew. It's the personal name of the first human being we read about in chapter 2. It's Adam. Uh, The Greek equivalent is anthropos, from which we get terms like anthropology, the study of humankind. Uh, But it means all of us, both male and female, not just adult males. Both Hebrew and Greek have different words for a grown man versus a grown woman. Uh, In Hebrew, it's ish. In Greek, it's aner. The the Hebrew for a woman is isha, and the Greek for a woman is gunas. Uh, So those are the words for men and women for the different sexes. It is helpful for us to remember that uh, this is what God tells us, and Jesus affirms that that God in the beginning made them male and female. Uh, There isn't anything in between. Uh, There are only two sexes. And uh, in fact, it was almost humorous. I happened to see a little video that would be considered terribly politically incorrect today. It was of Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Uh, singing, boys are boys from the beginning, girls are girls right from the start. And in between, he says, if you were born a boy, you'll stay a boy. And if you're born a girl, you'll stay a girl. Uh, People are a little bit confused about that these days, but that is the fact. And then he goes on to sing that only girls can be mommies and only boys can be daddies. Secondly, though, here we note that besides the fact that, of course, we're made male and female here, Uh, that man was made, mankind, human beings, all of us were made in the image of God. As the confession says, with reasonable and immortal souls. As Paul tells us, if we die, we know that being absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So there's something of our identity that goes on, and we're conscious of being in the presence of the Lord. It's not, not that we cease to exist when our bodies die. In fact, the Hebrew term for, for death comes from a root that means separation. It's talking about the separation of our soul from our body. So in the account of how God made the first man and woman in Genesis 2, we see that this happened when God formed the man, the male, of the dust of the ground and breathed life into him. And so he became a living soul, nephesh in Hebrew. And God then made the woman from the body of the man, and so she, like him, became a living soul. And we should notice, by the way, <coughs> excuse me, that God breathed life into the man. He formed him from the dust of the ground and breathed life into him. If God had to breathe life into him, he was not already alive. He didn't take a living thing and shape it into something else by some kind of theistic evolution. He took something that was not alive and made it alive. So that makes the idea of evolution of mankind from animals simply incompatible with the teaching of Scripture. Third, we 
originally bore the image of God in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness without any corruption. In Genesis 1.27, God makes man in his own image, male and female, and in verse 31, he declares this creation, including mankind, very good. That also would argue against evolution as well, because God would be calling very good cancer and all kinds of horrible things that we see in the fossil record occurred among dinosaurs and other things that lived supposedly before us. Colossians 3.10 speaks of the restoration of that state in which we were created, saying that in Christ we are being renewed in knowledge after the image of our Creator. Our knowledge is broken right now in our fallen state. Originally, we were made in the image of our Creator in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. You'll notice the importance of knowledge in our being renewed in the image of God, which uh, we've broken If you think you have nothing to learn from Scripture and from sound teachers of it, if you're unwilling to be taught and unwilling to to have to change your way of thinking because of what the Scripture says, to get your thoughts in line with Scripture, you're actually rejecting and fighting against God to remake you after His own image, to, to mend that brokenness in you. Well, lastly, God created us to be his vice regents, we also see. To have dominion over the creation that he had made. This is often called the cultural mandate, and this is a way in which we obviously display the image of God. If we only considered ourselves to be made after the image of God in terms of knowledge, as some have pointed out rightly, Uh, we've made a biblical argument for abortion. Because what does an unborn child know? But we're making, we say, no, that unborn child is made in the image of God. And that's because the image of God also includes this responsibility to be his vice regents, to be rulers of the creation that he's made, to reflect him to the creation. And that, any one of us does to some extent. And of course, if we weren't fallen, all of us would be doing perfectly Even from the moment of conception onward, we'd be reflecting that governing authority of God in creation. This is often called the cultural mandate or the dominion mandate, the mandate to have dominion over and to subdue creation, bringing order to the world. If you think about the account uh, that gives more detail in chapter 2 of Genesis, which is not a separate account of creation, just an expansion of what we see at the end of chapter 1. But we see there in in Genesis 2 that God makes the male, the man first, and places him in the garden. And then, of course, he makes the the woman. And in chapter 1, we have read already that he would have told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So in other words, we were originally placed in a garden and then given the mandate, expand the garden, make a garden of the whole world. Bring order to this natural world which God has created. Care for it. Tend it. That's our special duty as the only creatures made in God's image. No other creature has the ability to do that, to exercise that kind of dominion. And it's a a wonder to me that you'll see this reflected sometimes in the natural order, though it's broken by sin as well. But... I remember asking somebody years ago, 
why in the world does an elephant do what a man tells it to do? <clears throat> if it's a matter merely of strength, well, that elephant can squash you, no problem. Obviously, we have intellect and we're able to, to use that to our advantage. But we have a certain dominion, and the elephant has some sense of that dominion. I remember years ago also seeing a documentary about a man who had spent his life studying lions. And he had learned, I wouldn't put this to the test because it might go awry, the world being broken as it is, uh, but, uh, but he had learned that if a lion was charging him without having to shoot the lion, which I remember also reading a book many years ago by a man who taught Teddy Roosevelt to hunt big game in Africa, and he had, he had noted that quite frequently if somebody were to shoot a charging lion, before the lion died, he barreled over them anyway. Uh, so that's not a good way to stop a charging lion. But this, this man who'd spent his life studying lions learned that if a lion was charging him, it would usually turn aside if he yelled at it. The human voice, the commanding human voice, was enough to frighten the lion and make it turn aside. Physically speaking, there's nothing about a man that should scare a lion, right? And yet his voice had that voice of command. And I think that that's a little bit of a reflection of the fact that we were created to have dominion over these beasts of the earth. Modern man's insistence on evolution as really is a direct rejection of who God says we are and who he made us to be. So that we have, uh, some years ago, remember the founder of PETA being reported that he said, a dog is a rat, is a pig, is a boy. We're just animals. In other words, no, no more worthy of honor and respect and protection than a cat or a butterfly. Now I think while, while PETA uh, typically would make the assumption that that their, their intention, at least, was to elevate the importance of cats and dogs and cows and so on. The culture at large more often uses it to lower the dignity and the value of human life. As Ken Ham warned, if we're just products of evolution, random chance, if you kill spare cats, why not kill spare children? You put down an injured horse... Why not just smother grandma when her medication gets too expensive? Or why not have a government panel tell you when it's too expensive to keep you alive? It wasn't long ago that somebody was rejected. I heard there was this news story about someone in Canada who was rejected for a treatment because of its expense and given options of alternative options of treatment at the top of the list was Doctor-assisted suicide. If we spend 12 years of school telling children that they're just animals, we should not be surprised if they then act like animals. The Bible does not give believers room, though, to think like that. To think of themselves and other human beings as animals, as evolved goo, in essence, or as the accidental result of random processes, or as merely slightly more intelligent and organized beasts, we're made in the image of God. 
And yes, we'll see soon that that image is broken by our sin, but every human life is worthy of honor and dignity as created in the image of the Creator. That's who you are. And that's why you're valuable. That's why you have purpose. If you're just the result of evolution and random chance, you have no purpose, you have no value, you're worthless. That's why one 20th century philosopher said the only question left to the philosopher is whether and when to commit suicide. That's behind, I think, the great majority of mass random public shootings from Columbine onward. If you understand that we're just animals, why not treat us like animals? If we're just random chance, then what makes what Hitler did any different than, say, a lion hunting down a gazelle? But if you understand that we're made in the image of God, how can you dishonor? How could you be callous toward a human being or squash out the life of another person made in his image? You can't do that. And the truth is, you're not worthless, you're not valueless, you are not purposeless. You have worth, you have value, you have a reason for existing. Because you are a human being made in the image of your Creator. Let's pray. Lord, remind us that we are indeed made in your image, that because this is true... To to know ourselves rightly, we must seek you first. Moreover, because you are our creator, we must know you in order to understand our purpose. And therefore, we pray that you would keep us growing in our knowledge of you. Let us not be content to remain as we are. Change us and conform us to your word that we might be renewed after the image of Jesus Christ, who is our creator, come to us. We pray this in his name. Amen.